Hello, Bonsai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai, and welcome to episode 28 of Little Things for Bonsai People, the podcast. And this time I am joined by Carmen Leskovienski. How are you doing, Carmen? Hello. Um, I'm okay. It's been a week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We can get into the weather and what we've been working oh, on yeah. in just All a moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today, me and Carmen will be discussing azaleas and her work over at the University of Michigan and the bonsai collection there. And, uh, you know, just care, uh, how to develop them, different varieties, suitable forms and shapes and other things that, I mean, I don't know a whole lot. So I'm going to just be very, uh, very open about that. I'm sure as, uh, Carmen's going to give us plenty of good information today. Uh, but yeah, before we get started, I do need to mention that our podcast is sponsored by our amazing patrons over off of patreon.com, uh, starting the list with Tori Solis, Warehouse Rat, Boyd Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chappers, Ryan Gliando, sorry dude, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard Bonsai Australia, The Ladies at the Flower Market, Taylor Peacock, Chase Pertweet, and, and then uh, Vicky Off. She was formerly a $1 patron, but she upgraded to a Bonsai Bud. Thank you very much, Vicky. Welcome to the uh welcome to our little little crew of Bonsai Best Buds. And then uh, a new $1 tier patron, David N. Thank you so much for being Best Buds and supporting our show. Everything helps. Uh and just before we get into it, I do need to mention our editor Matt, uh Matt O'Donnell. Makes it sound awesome, makes it sound smart, cleans up our voices, makes it nice and smooth, kind of like an NPR show, kind of like uh how we joke around that Carmen's got the NPR voice. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he's a bass player and music player from Nashville, Tennessee. You can go check out his website at mattodonnell.com or you can go to his Instagram. Same thing, Matt O'Donnell uh, on Instagram. He has a contact form if you want some uh, audio engineering work. You can go check it out there. He has a contact form on his website. So, uh, yeah, so Azaleas. I don't even know where to start because, uh, like I had mentioned a moment ago, it's something I'm kind of ignorant to. Uh, we have some Satsuki azaleas, what we talked about earlier. I was saying Satsuki, uh, which is kind of the way it's spelled. But uh, give us a little light summary of Satsuki azaleas and other varieties. Sure. Yeah. So um, Satsuki azaleas are, it's it's funny that you uh, mentioned your pronunciation of it because I think most people, when they see the word, it's spelled Satsuki, right? But like a lot of the Japanese words, it's pronounced a little bit differently than it's spelled. So it, it is pronounced Satsuki. And it means um, fifth month, which is generally when these azaleas bloom over in Japan. So the month of May, which we're in right now. Mm. Um, and Perfect then, timing. yeah, exactly. Um, so over in the States, they tend to bloom a little bit later. We're starting to see a few blooms here in Portland right now. Um, over in Michigan, uh, at the university there where I have my other job, um, the, usually we don't start seeing blooms till June, uh, early June, usually more towards mid-June, just because we're a little bit colder there. So they're a little bit further behind um, once you get over into the cooler climates. But um, yeah, they're really... I think they're a really cool plant. Um, and I think that there's enough differences in growing azaleas that people tend to get a little bit intimidated. You often hear that people say, oh, I've had a, a satsuki. I've, I totally killed it. They're they're too hard to grow. Um, 
even over in Japan, they're kind of they're sometimes considered a category of their own in that you don't always see them in bonsai shows. You don't see a ton of them in the Kokofu books. Um, they'll sometimes have their own shows. Um, and some people think they're too gaudy for bonsai, to which I say, like, come on. They're they're I really like them because not only do they have flowers in the springtime, but you can really they're a really versatile plant. You can really create kind of any shape you want out of them. And even when they're not in flower, you have these they're semi evergreen. Um, so you have some kind of, you know, color on them. They're green leaves all year long. Um, so you, you always have a tree that looks interesting, even when it's not in flower. So um Overall, I think they're they're a great plant. They're once you they're kind of like black pine in that once you learn, you know, the methodology and what to do, they're not too complicated. They're pretty vigorous growers. Um, and they come in all shapes and colors. So really you can do almost anything you want with an azalea. So that is interesting to know that they would be put in their own category, completely separate mm-hmm. from other boneside material. I know uh, there was a book that was printed by Stone Lantern. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was exclusively a Satsuki Azalea Bonsai and Grower's Guide um, mm-hmm. that was translated over. I think it's currently out of print, though, unfortunately, so it's a little bit more so. rare. I can't remember the name of it either, um, but I, I think know. it's literally just Azalea's like Satsuki Azaleas for Bonsai slash Grower's Guide. I think it's just that simple. Mm -hmm. I can look it up and it's kind of like the other book I tried to suggest to our listeners to to pick up the Bonsai (laughs) Styles of the World. It's just out of print. I'm like, oh, geez. Uh, (laughs) It happens. You know, you can probably find it somewhere at a club or, you know, online somewhere. But yeah, just uh, be respectful. If you find a PDF, just saying. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's there are a couple of ways to find good information on uh, Satsuki Azaleas. Mm-hmm. And I found that book to be kind of like the definitive guide, like an encyclopedia almost. Mm-hmm. Because what I'm seeing is that they're not just doing Satsuki's as bonsai, but also just as like appreciation, like the bloom appreciation. So the plant can right. be shaped whatever way, just to make it look more interesting, not necessarily within the confines of like a typical J- Japanese bonsai design. It's just mm-hmm. to get those branches out so you can see the blooms and line them up. Right. Yeah. Sometimes, especially when you're thinking of them and when you're just thinking of the flower appreciation, that's where you see a lot of S curves in azaleas. Um, you know, folks are just trying to grow them a little bit interesting and then they'll have flower shows essentially rather than, you know, a bonsai show with their, with their bonsai azalea. So they can go, yeah, there's a couple kinds of different categories for them, even within their own <laughs> category of being an azalea mm-hmm. so i, I yeah. think they're really cool and i wish i had a better edge on them uh i have a, a local hobbyist and just azaleas uh, he's one of our bonsai buds actually justin knight uh asks us a lot of questions he's always throwing the azalea questions there because he's the one that's attempting to do graphs and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and so and he was asking me how to make a exposed root style uh mm-hmm. niagari um azaleas and you know like that could be simple you know from what i've seen just because Mm -hmm. of the way their roots grow they're so dense but Mm -hmm. i guess before we get too far into like styles now you have kind of an overview like we know that azaleas 
evergreen flowers an obvious thing but there is how many like varieties can you think of I have a book from Japan that I think has over 2000 varieties of cultivated satsuki. They're really easy to breed and cross kind of like orchids, you know, like there's just so many different color variations. You can just breed them together and get all kinds of crazy stuff. So there's, I mean, people ask me to identify an azalea for them. Like, good luck. I don't know if you don't know what the <laughs> name is. Like when you buy your azalea, write down the name and keep it somewhere. You won't forget because otherwise you're going to be looking through a 2000 cultivar book of Japanese azalea names. Yeah. They, even the flowers will have a lot of similarities between some of the cultivars. Like some of them are so strikingly mm -hmm. similar. It's hard to to even know like you said unless you just know no because like right. sometimes the cultivar could just be had been like crossbred just in a particular part of japan or mm -hmm. some other part of the world even because um what so does satsuki azaleas this is a question do you know if they're they're they pertain to the mountain azaleas like true saskies have to come from japan or is that not the case yeah i think it's a, a very i think it's a specific mountain azalea from japan i think that's where that one comes from specifically yeah and then they branched off onto mm -hmm. other azaleas and so for propagation i mean what our azaleas do that i've seen this is mm -hmm. down in southern louisiana uh flower pops out uh flowers there for probably probably two weeks maybe before mm -hmm. it kind of wilts and then it turns into this big droopy mess and, it, and you have to Ugh. pull mm -hmm. yeah you have to pull the, the petals will eventually fall off but because how wet it is here it's a little less attractive looking mm -hmm. uh, but i'm sure in drier climates they kind of just pop off and then you get the the hip like the almost yep. like a rose hip but it's a zillia hip right is that what you mm -hmm. would call it yeah the ovary is usually what we refer to it too but yeah essentially it's it's just like a rose hip it's the ovary of the the flower that's turning into a seed and then that is the seed Mm -hmm. because I've never seen, from my experience, I've never seen an azalea just reproduce and then, you know, drop a seed and then you see a baby azalea pop up. Have you seen yeah. that? Uh, no, but that's because we always pull the flowers off. Okay. <laughs> we always pull all the ovaries off. Yeah. So, yeah. and I, I don't know, maybe it's just the the cycle. Maybe there's not enough cool months in the year for Louisiana. I don't know what it's like in Michigan versus Portland as well. Uh, is it possible to do that crossbreeding like that? Uh, yeah, totally. I think um, like with a lot of crossbreeding, you have to be really specific about it. Like I would, if you're planning to crossbreed something, you know, I would go through with a paintbrush and like take your pollen and put it on your flower so that you have the, you know, your exact cross, you are sure that it's pollinated. And then you have to like watch that seed, make sure that it matures. And once you harvest it and plant it out, then you can, you know, grow all those seedlings. Um, and I think people do it here in Portland. I don't know anybody in Michigan who does it, but I think that's just because there's, there's not a lot of, um, Michigan winters are a little bit rough for azaleas. They need a little bit more protection than they do like here, um, in Portland. Um, and then there's already so many varieties. I don't think a lot of people are bothering to play with it, but, um, it definitely can be done. Okay. Yeah. Cause, um, I know that that they struggle in different ranges. And mm -hmm. so I guess that's kind of like, like let's kind of start from like a a really particular care guide. Like let's say you mm -hmm. just looked up online, you got that care guide. So yep. what's their ideal zone from what you've seen? 
Uh, so they do really well. I mean, if you think about where you see azaleas and rhododendrons um, native to North America, kind of in, you know, the Appalachian range. Um, so kind of like middle America, um, uh, where you have kind of mild winters and warm, humid summers is really what they like. So they do well over here in Portland. They do well kind of in um, like uh, the Carolinas, the Georgia area. So imagine weather kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And that's Would- where you're going to be the most successful would you say that's like zones six to eight maybe i think so i don't i'm not up to date on my zones um and the zones shifted recently too yeah they did everything's getting a little bit warmer which is unsettling yeah um but uh yeah and so for for winters they can freeze but they don't really want to be like in a deep freeze and they don't want to be frozen solid for a long time. So if you're somewhere like in Michigan, what we've got at the university is um, a cold storage greenhouse that we keep above freezing, but, you know, we only heat it, you know, just a bit so that it is just above freezing um, so that they get that dormant period. So if you're where you are in Louisiana, I don't know if you're cold for long enough to really be able to, you know, it's Dude. cold for probably like a week or two. Sometimes the weather has surprised us mm. uh, just recently. And I know it's the same for Portland um, yeah. as well, where it's just, it'll get really cold. And then mm-hmm. during the the, the the summer, y'all have had like some really extreme heat. Oh my God, um, yeah. It's been the, the opposite for us. It's been just surprisingly long, frigid winters. And so... When we could drop down into like 15, 14 degrees, we haven't been taking sat skis mm-hmm. anywhere. But mm-hmm. now that we're starting to experience this cold, any valuable sat skis that we're trying to work on here, we might start cold framing them. Yeah. And that would be your suggestion. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think once you really get down past like into the 20s and teens, um, for like long periods of time, I wouldn't want to hold them, you know, at those temperatures for you know, more than a couple days. Um, we try to keep everything, you know, at or around 32 or 35, somewhere between 32 and 42 really is kind of ideal for, you know, a cold treatment without freezing through, but they can, they can handle, you know, a few cold nights, just, you know, you don't want them at zero Mm -hmm. for the entire winter exposed to the wind, you know, because they do still have their leaves. So. Yeah. I did notice that up at the, uh, the curtigas garden that they're just in the the greenhouse structure not necessarily mm-hmm. hot hot they're just like more just yep they just of, yeah hang out protected from the wind and the um the direct snow and ice and yeah so a little bit little bit warmer a couple of degrees warmer for them in there and they're put on the ground is yep. that is that that's like is that kind of just a satsky just like kind of tip or is that just because of storage space or a lot of it's for for storage space for our cold frames here it's like we keep um, a lot of our our satskis are still kind of in development so those those trees tend to end up on the ground over winter rather than up on a bench where a lot of our like you know kind of finished trees go up on the bench Mm -hmm. um but in just in general keeping things on the ground in the winter keeps them from freezing through as quickly as if they were, you know, up on the bench because the ground here doesn't really freeze. So it's 
that heat from the earth is kind of keeping that with in contact with the bottom of the pot and kind of overall keeping the plant, you know, a little bit warmer than if it were up on a bench and the whole, you know, pot and tree is were surrounded by, you know, whatever cold air temperature um, we have at the time. Yeah. So placement for then we're talking uh, mostly like uh, environment, environmental changes during uh, seasonal times of the year right now mm -hmm. so that's always good to know i feel like that's something that i think we talk about this on our podcast about just generally across a lot of other species and trees that we talk about it's like we always bring up like the fact that the winter and the summer are most important mm -hmm. um would you would you say that if you're starting to feel like that for climate yeah uh, climate control, stuff I mean, is that's usually when you have the most you know, drastic variation, you know, in winter you can be at 32 or you can drop to below, below zero. Um, and those, and the same within the summer, you can be, you know, at 85 for most of the time, but then you get 110 for a week, you know? So it's like those really drastic shifts, um, I think are the most dangerous moments for our trees. So probably that's, you know, when you have to be the most careful, um, spring and fall tends I think to be a little bit I mean the weather the weather's wonky you know like it's it's changing and it's different but usually your temperature extremes aren't so crazy so it's a little bit it feels a little bit safer to me um those seasons so really yeah for azaleas and a lot of the trees you're looking at how are you protecting them in the winter from those extremes and how are you positioning them in the summer to uh, maximize growth but protecting them from you know, extreme heat or too much sun or too much shade. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I feel like as time goes on, I mean, we're going to need, we're just going to need to talk about that more and more. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so that kind of covers like the general, like how to I say general too much. I always think about uh, how much your mother want to say that. Um, but the, the overall kind of treatment of them throughout the year so if it's like growing season, are they a full sun or partial shade? We usually do partial shade. Um, right now, I mean, it's springtime. We're not really into our super sunny season. Um, we're about to put shade cloth up. Uh, usually we do that sometime in May or at the very latest early June. Usually about now is when we start getting our shade cloth up. And they usually sit under 40 or 50 percent shade. Um, through most of the growing season but in the early spring and in the fall they're in you know full sun um but uh the and i they can be in in full sun if you are good with your watering if it's full sun but not necessarily like in a lot of heat i would overall i just recommend partial shade um especially when there's flowers on them because the flowers can get not necessarily sunburned, but they can wilt, you know, a lot easier if they're in the sun. They don't last as long when they're in the sun. So a little bit of shade goes a long way for improving um, uh, flower longevity on your plants. Yeah, I feel like uh, we'll have we're going to have to talk about the flowers. In, oh, yeah. And before we get there, though, because I was like thinking that's going to be its own thing, I maybe let's kind of talk about uh like the repotting 
of them because I know you're supposed to repot them after they are done blooming. Is that is that okay? So there we go. That that's one of those <laughs> challenges. That's a challenging question there. Uh, that's the yeah. that's the 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 rule the the like the rule that I, you hear in a lot of bonsai mm -hmm. books and um, a lot of the older bonsai club members I've heard that mm -hmm. been said. How do you feel about that? I think it's a really good way to kill your tree if you're not um, experienced. Uh, because if you're repotting a tree in June or July when it's hot and sunny and you're not doing any kind of defoliation and you're not protecting it in a greenhouse or being really careful with your humidity, it's really easy to kill a tree in the summertime. Um, not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Um, we do a lot of our azalea repotting early um, here. It's, you know, we kind of do it along with our with our other stuff in February, March, sometimes earlier on in the repotting season. Um, even in Michigan, we do February, March. So when everything's still totally dormant um, before things really start actively growing, um, it's, I mean, it's generally a little bit safer for the plant to do that. Um, you can do it in the summertime, but if you're going to do that, a lot of times you do that with a lot of uh, cutting back or defoliation. So you're kind of top and bottom are a little bit more balanced, sometimes like what you do with a tropical. Um, and then you have to be really careful about your humidity afterwards, making sure it's wet, but not, or, you know, moist, but not soaking wet all the time. And you just have to really pay close attention to it. So unless you really need to do it in the summertime, eh, you know, early on in repotting season is you know, a fine time to do it. Okay. So let's not repot, repot our azaleas during the summertime or most things during the summertime uh, for that case. Cause I've heard a lot of, a lot of other things about repotting season could happen during summer summer dormancy, but mm. I feel like that's one of the most intense times. It probably could, but I don't know. Again, it's like, I don't know that I'd recommend it unless you're going to you know, put your stuff into a really humid greenhouse and monitor it really carefully. Like you'll need mm. one of those greenhouses that like regulates temperature too, with like a Auto cooling. Yeah. Automatic misters, automatic vents, automatic temperature control. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking really complex. It's kind of mm -hmm. like the it's if like that... a commercial greenhouse, then maybe I would consider it. <laughs> yeah. It's like <laughs> I, I hear this question sometimes that uh whenever I'm at the nursery here and someone's like, Oh, well, I would really love to grow my bonsai inside. And I'm like, mm. what would you, how much would you like to uh, invest into an inside setup? Because we're right. talking about uh nice, strong UV light, uh, airflow, mm -hmm. humidity, talking about somewhere to water to let the water drain out. You need, mm -hmm. you need fresh. I mean, that, that, I mean, stagnant of how your inside of your home is. And mm -hmm. we get to this point where it's like, Okay, so why don't you just grow it outside? It's free, <laughs> you know. And so it's kind of like yeah. with azaleas; it's like just mm -hmm. repot it during the early spring. It's free. Yeah. You don't have why to have not? a commercial greenhouse, you know. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there is some the the benefits I think of repotting it in the summertime, though, are if you do live in a really humid climate, um, and if you have a really vigorous plant and you're doing kind of a big cutback, it can really rejuvenate a plant in that kind of a situation. Um, 
But if you're just doing your standard repotting and you're a beginner, I definitely wouldn't go there right away. You know, like there could be a benefit to doing it, but as a, as a rule, I, I, I personally would not. Okay. Well, uh, I think naturally the next part about azaleas we're going to talk about are roots and mm -hmm. the, the weird way that, that they go into pots. I've heard some things about azalea roots being so thick that you use, have to use drinking straws to water them. But uh, before we get into that, it sounds uh, like it needs to be repotted. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention our uh, our shoutouts from uh, social for our social media pages real quick. Uh, if you've listened this far into the podcast, thank you so much. If you want to check out some more of our work, uh, for me, for Evan, it's gonna be at the website underhillboneside.com. I've written some articles there. There's a link to the store to Underhill's Nursery. Uh, we're located in Folsom, Louisiana. And then also we have a Facebook and Instagram under the same name. And if you want to come check out my personal stuff, I do a lot of posts about, I mean, all I do is bonsai. So go to Facebook. Uh, I've got a lot of bonsai work on there as well under Evan Pardew. For Carmen, she is one of the co-founders of the Purple Pot Society. Uh, it is the National Women's Bonsai Club. You can go check that out at purplepotsociety.org. And uh, the membership here, how about you kind of describe the membership a little bit? Because I feel like I cut it short. Oh, sure. Yeah. So our membership is $35 for the year and you have access to our forum, our articles, um, all of the other information on the website. We are trying to do more um, not in-person meetings, but some more virtual benefits. So virtual meetings with, you know, um, women artists, that kind of thing. Um but yeah, it's uh, it's coming along and we'll be present at the ABS show in Denver this June. Yeah, yeah. Good and exciting news uh, about that in just a moment. Uh, right after Carmen, uh, well, actually, let's just mention Becoming Bonesai on Instagram. That's Carmen's uh, personal oh, yeah. page. My, you got some stuff on there. Page. Yeah, some reels of like little things happening. Vivian the cat hanging out. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Some good stuff on there. Uh, and then for Mike, uh, which will... He will be joining us uh, in later episodes. Uh, go over to KitsuneBoneside.com. That is, I'm sorry, uh, that is spelled K-I-T-S-U-N-E, Boneside, B-O-N-S-A-I.com. Mike is a Florida, uh, South Florida Boneside professional. He does a lot of work in the area, so you can go attend one of his workshops. You can have him work on your personal trees. He does excellent work, specializes in shohin. You can go over to Ketsune Bonsai on Instagram and see some of his tree pre tree progressions. He's built some beautiful shohin in a very short amount of time. He works with a lot of tropical plants. Uh, but yeah, the ABS show, I'm going to talk about that for a second because mm. um, I just remembered that it's, it is relevant to this, to this podcast because uh, we've been reading, we've been, Bringing up the ABS show, uh, that's the American Bonsai Society Learning Seminar. And so there's going to be a bonsai show there. Mm -hmm. And I submitted a tree of my own. It's a water elm. Uh, it was collected by Zach Smith. He's a he's a uh, Yamadori uh, artist slash uh, curator of native species here as well. Uh, he's out of the St. Francisville area in Louisiana. And uh, we purchased the tree as just like a stump. And then I grew it out. Uh, Doug took part in it, the, the the owner of the of Underhill. And uh, 
and we've built the tree into a big wild broom looking shape it's a it's a beautiful tree and i submitted it to the show and it got in so yay so yeah i'm excited to say that uh i get to drive 20 hours Woohoo! <laughs> i get to drive 20 hours from hammond louisiana to denver colorado uh i did drive 20 hours to the national show when when i when I got my uh, Wingdale man two years ago uh, to Rochester, that I mean, twenty hours is fine. Yeah, uh, fine. yeah. Uh, my wife is like, <laughs> "Why don't we just box it up and and ship it, and then we could fly?" I'm like, "Oh uh, my god, no, <laughs> no, I don't that, think so." That's a lot of work. Uh, yeah, and we could we could probably do a a whole episode about how to prep a tree leading up oh, to yeah. a show as I experience it real time because uh-huh. it goes from. <laughs> Uh, that 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 episode that me and you did earlier we were like uh show ready trees what is what is this what is that what do you need to do and now it's like oh crap mode your tree got into a show now now what, what? <laughs> so that would be appropriate That'll be our next episode <laughs> probably oh uh, crap <laughs> yeah i think yeah because denver is in from the the time that this episode comes out it would be i think three weeks away oh my god that's Maybe? fast yeah yeah that's months. that's like yeah it's like in a month from now so it'll be what three weeks so this, this comes, comes out, out this comes out the next week so this will be probably out on the 9th to the 10th of may so that's one two three and four. Oh, it's about four months okay four you weeks. got a so, month yeah we got time um i just got to prep the tree you know but uh yeah so me and carmen will both be there carmen will be part of the uh is it a panel for uh, yeah, Purple Pot Society? Yeah, on, on women in bonsai. Yeah, um, put on by Purple Pot Society. Um, ow, cat just bit me again. No, um, yeah, she's mean. You're mean, go away. Um, yeah, so we'll be there on the panel. Um, so yeah, I guess you can come to ABS and bug me and Evan. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be walking around bugging other people about their trees on display and, and probably, is there a vendor area? In this oh yeah, yeah oh the yeah. Bender area. You probably catch me there, just drooling oh, over yeah. all the other trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I had a great time at the the national show. The Bender area there was insane. There was yeah, so much good material. That's huge over there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm curious to. I I love a vendor area. And it might be bad for me because I am bringing my trailer with my tree. So oh, you have plenty of space to carry things home. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, I'll have my wife there to keep me in check, though. So we'll see. <laughs> Oh, uh, I finally get to meet her. Yay. Yep. Yep. We're, uh, we mentioned that earlier. So yeah, that, it's going to be a really good time. Um, so yeah, ABS, that's the 8th, 9th and 10th, I believe. I think so. Of yeah. June. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great time. I don't want to linger on it too much. It's kind of just the anxiety that's building right now, but let's get back just to don't azaleas. Think about it. Yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> weird azalea roots and feeding them with drinking straws. Yeah. Uh, so there was, uh, I believe it, I, I don't know if this was, if this is a, a thing or not. I've only heard it from an, an, the mouth of another bonsite professional um, that you get the azalea roots so dense sometimes and they get, and you get them into a shallow pot which the, the shallowest that they can go from what I've seen is about three inches is safe. You don't want to go much deep. Mm, I mean, mm-hmm. shallower than that because of water table and root rot. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. They tend to like a bit of a deeper pot. Most shrubs tend to like deeper pots. They have kind of a different root system than trees do. Um, they, they're a little bit 
finer. Uh, azalea roots in particular are super fine. So um, yeah, they like a little bit deeper of a pot. Yeah, I can relate with my work with Yopon hollies. Um, mm -hmm. The little shrub, uh, yeah. not as showy as an azalea. Evergreen has a super dense root system. We're talking, uh, we joke about it in repots whenever we're doing like the boxwoods and the azaleas and the yopons we're like mm -hmm. these are like brillo pads yeah. like straight up like <laughs> they're so dense that you can't even you you can't chopstick the soil in there no no those are ones you just kind of take a bread knife to and like saw off the edges and hope for the best the bread knife <laughs> <laughs> I've heard people use saws all, you know, but I, I had a volunteer once who was like bread knife, you know, just like take off the set. Wow. How sharp is your bread knife, dude? <laughs> oh, uh, pretty sharp. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That must be a pretty, pretty, pretty uh, dense root ball. Yeah. Like the, the serration on that bread knife is incredible mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. because pretty, from what I could imagine is uh, what are those called? There's a, there's a saw that I use. It's in my tool bag. It's a little flip out saw. We were using them whenever I was up in Portland last time. They had the really fine teeth too. I went ahead and got myself one because I saw it and I was like, that's, that's awesome. That was really good for cutting fine roots. Uh, oh, yeah, I think, that, um, I think we used the, yeah, yeah, that one. And I think we use silky too. Those are pretty good. KTS, uh, yeah. folding saw. They're like little tiny saws are like four inches long at the most when they're folded. And then mm -hmm. when they fold out, they got this really nice flexible blade. Um, and then silkies are your your kind of go-to, your professional brand. Mm -hmm. uh, those are good for cutting thick root systems like that. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, the drinking straw thing was like you poke a hole in there and you have to like feed it water underneath the root system because it gets so dense that it won't accept water to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard that before? No, but... Um, I mean, I've, I've heard of root systems getting so dense that that happens, but generally in those cases, the drinking straw is clever because usually what we do in those situations, I haven't done it with an azalea, but usually what we'll do in those situations with whatever other species is, you know, we'll take a, a chopstick or a tweezer or whatever, and essentially drill a hole, you know, into the core of the tree, the core of the root mass, and then backfill with pumice or whatever, so that there's some aeration just to get us through until um, we can repot the next at the next appropriate time. The other thing you can do if your if your tree isn't accepting really any water is stick it in, you know, a pan of water so it soaks up from the bottom and really kind of saturate the entire root mass. And that will help get water kind of moving back through. Once the whole thing is rehydrated, then mm. you can generally get water through a little bit easier overall. But if you're if you're having that much trouble getting water into your root system, you have to repot. So uh, could you, if you're having a, a major issue, like mm -hmm. let's say it's summertime and you're just like, Oh no, I can't get this thing watered. And you're having to dunk it like every other day. It feels like mm -hmm. is if, if it's manageable is slip potting them out and then moving them into a slightly larger container and trying to not disturb the root system. Would that be effective? I think in that case, you might just risk running water over the edge of your root mass, you know, and kind of out the side, like it would go into the pot, but it would kind of run off the edge of the root ball and around rather than really sinking in. So I think in that case, your best bet would be to kind of go in with, if a drinking straw is what you have, I guess that could work. Um, but yet kind of like drilling a hole, 
mm. or, you know, multiple, you know, kind of around the core of the root mass and creating, you know, spaces in there for water to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's an interesting thing that, uh, that you bring up there. And I, I didn't really think of it. Um, and that's why we, that's why we do this podcast. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. we, we're talking bone sign. We're just going to keep on bouncing these ideas back and forth. Um, that if you got a really dense root system on a tree and you think that the, the, the solution to, to like not having it struggle is just to bump that pot size up. If it dehydrates quick enough and you go to water, that water's naturally going to just bead off the, the top side of that really dense root system. And you're creating a new airspace for that water to travel to. And, mm-hmm. and then if you, especially if you increase the pot depth, then you have an even higher amount of, of uh, drainage going on. And so you might even struggle even more to get that tree to hydrate. So mm-hmm. it sounds like best case scenario is if you're struggling with a, a tree, not tr- staying wet enough and you seem to have too much dryness to the summer and you're just you might need to go deep shade and just do the hydration methods that Carmen's mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's like, it's no matter how much you try, it seems like the other way, like the, the simplest way is the, is the easiest answer to keeping those tight root balls hydrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that we do with azaleas a lot of times um, in the springtime is uh, as opposed to repotting, um, it's not a replacement for repotting, but sometimes on the off years of uh, when you're not repotting, since they have such fine fine roots and a lot of their feeder roots are right on the surface, a lot of times we'll go in and scrape off the moss, maybe go about a quarter of an inch down, you know, um, just to kind of loosen up the top of that soil mass and then put fresh um Yamagoki, so that's the Japanese mountain moss. You can use shredded sphagnum as well, but for azaleas, they tend. Um, with azaleas, the again, the the preferred thing is the the Japanese mountain moss. Um, but any any of your shredded mosses on top, uh, to kind of keep those roots a little bit more moist, and that often loosens things up a little bit, so that you can get a little better water infiltration through the season. Um. But yeah, they tend to need to be repotted a little bit more frequently than a lot of plants, um, a lot of than a lot of the trees. If you have a healthy azalea, it could be every year, it could be every other year. Usually, it's more every you know two to three years. Um, but we we've have a couple in the yard here in Portland where you know we repotted them, not this past repotting season, but one year before, and mm-hmm. you know it's kind of borderline that we we probably could have repotted them again this year, but. You'll, we'll probably wait till next year at this point so they and can grow really really fast and become really really dense one of the things that you do to check to see if any bone sign needs to be repotted would be take the chopstick and see how much space you have as you poke into mm-hmm. the root mass that's yep. definitively the same thing with the azaleas yep. yep yep and so yeah so you go kind of in the outer one inch like between the the one inch of soil just on the inside of the pot um you want the core you know of your tree to be tight um you still want water to go into it but you're really looking at that kind of outer edge of soil that would get replaced if your chopstick will not go in mm-hmm. um relatively easily uh if it keeps getting stuck when you poke at it then you do need to repot yeah 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 so that's and that's kind of a light touch on just repotting bonsai trees across the board a little bit. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. 
some of these things can be applied to other species, but I feel like, mm-hmm. is there any other species specific uh, azalea things that we should know about repotting before we move on? Because there's the, one of the things I want to get into is pretty interesting with the flowers, yeah. but was there anything else um, you can think of? Yeah. So for repotting, again, traditionally, they're repotted into canuma, which is a kind of soil. There we go. Yeah, I forgot um, about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, located in a, a very specific region of Japan called canuma. What do you know? Um, yep. Just like I've Akadama, been there. There's lots of canuma. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that that's a really, that's a, you don't have to grow your azaleas in canuma. I will say I've seen them grown in other things. I will also say that I have seen some of the best azaleas grown in Kanuma, and it seems to be kind of the easiest. It's kind of one of those like, okay, if you just want to grow an azalea and grow it well, just put it in Kanuma. It's kind of like a no-brainer. It's like an easy, mm. easy thing. Well, um, but what's it's the balance of Kanuma. What do you or, mean? So is it all 100%. Kanuma? percent mm-hmm. Okay. Oh wow. Yep. Oh. Sometimes you'll use different grades. So sometimes you'll use bigger on the bottom and kind of go up to a smaller grade towards the top of the pot um, that I've seen. But Kanuma is really good at holding water without getting soggy. So, and it's a little bit more acidic. Azalea is like acid. Um, They've Mm. grown them in Kanuma in Japan for hundreds of years. It works really well. It's one of those tried and true methods. and then surface coverage on those with Yamagoki, so the Japanese mountain moss. Um, again, expensive. You can use sphagnum instead for a very similar result. Um, but again, if you can afford, you know, the Japanese products, um, I will say that they're superior. I I in what I have seen anecdotally, yes, I don't have the science to back it up. And I'd love to have, I'd love to see, you know breakdowns of what all these soils have in them and what the what's the difference between the mosses but Mm -hmm. um i have i mean i i will say i have also seen azaleas grown in deciduous mix in pumice you know with a sphagnum topping and they're just fine um so i think that's one of the struggles with trying to recommend these more these more expensive quality soil particles more expensive mosses, more expensive fertilizers, more expensive treatments. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of, that's, I know it's, it's tough to sit here and, and say, oh, well, you know, it could be done the other way. And it's kind of like, like you were saying, like you've seen good ones in regular mm-hmm. soil mix using regular sphagnum, using, you know, whatever treatments you're that's, using. Those are also done grown by professionals, you know, who've yeah. been growing bonsai for. And, as long as I've been alive. And it doesn't want to sound like, like for our listeners, especially those who are trying their hand at azaleas, that it's not impossible to grow azaleas in right. affordable mixes. Mm-hmm. Um, azaleas will grow in potting mix, like regular yeah. uh, high acidic uh, peat moss and pine bark for a mm-hmm. certain amount of time, you know, until the root system just eats the whole thing up. Uh, so mm-hmm. per- any permanent soil mix will work. Kanuma, as far as what I can collect from what Carmen's trying to defend a little bit on it is like it's it's very ideal, but mm-hmm. you don't. It's, have it's like to. the no-brainer. It's like if you're gonna have one or two azaleas and you want to do them nicely, spend the extra thirty dollars and get the bag of Kanuma. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just get the bag of Kanuma. I think that kind of 
that kind of clears it up too is like we're over here talking mm-hmm. about like kanuma high quality and, it, and then list, some of the listeners might be imagining like how much is this stuff is it like it's like a, it's like a bag of akadama <laughs> right it's just yeah. a, it's a, just another thing you have to buy you yeah. know it's another expense but and that's that's what i like i tell some uh some practitioners i see as they get to that next level and they're starting to they're starting to get to that point where they're like they're right on the edge they're like i'm doing this and that but i feel like there's something missing maybe there's something i could do a little bit more or dip i'm like I'm like mm-hmm. soil particles. Change it up a little yeah. bit. I sure. promise you, it'll go a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, and soils can be. That's down the line. That's that's a whole episode. That's itself. a whole like that's a whole podcast. The get, not just an episode. That's its own podcast. <laughs> it's like we oh, talked about it for like a whole half a year or even more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's gonna have like four seasons just about soils. <laughs> like, oh god. But soils are are really fun though. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, they are. And I didn't get, I didn't have the, the pleasure to take like a souls class in, in college at college. I don't level. know that I would call it a pleasure, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a tedious class from what I can imagine. But my professor was named Dr. Crumb though. And I thought that was kind of appropriate. Oh my God, dude. It's like, Dr. Crumb teaching soils. They're like, I, I joke about how uh, some of the names for people that I've met in Boneside, their last names just sound like Harry, Harry Potter professors. <laughs> There's just like two directly related. And that's another one. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, the repotting, the soil, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, we could go into that more. If we get listener questions that want to deep dive into more other aspects of that, we mm-hmm. we could do some research, I, talk some more. One other thing I'll mention is the, is um, bare rooting. Like, ah, yeah, that is, that is a good point. Yeah. Um, generally, you don't reap bare root and azalea unless you're like going from, you know, a seedling or pre bonsai into like a permanent bonsai mix, whatever, you know, like generally you don't, it's not a standard practice to bare root and azalea. Can an azalea be bare rooted? Yes, they can be bare rooted using a power washer like they do in Japan before they ship them over to the US. They cannot have any soil particles on them. So they can be bare rooted they can be bare rooted using the most abrasive tool in the entire world but like mm-hmm. again when you are doing bonsai in your home generally you don't bare root them yeah. Um, uh, yeah. and like from what i've experienced with the yopons i think that's one of the more direct uh comparisons to the, the soil uh and root type is you can get those particles in there if you want to go in and reset that root ball to an extent not mm-hmm. not not like full on, like you said, bare root, but take out mm-hmm. like cut back sections, like yep. maybe do like a third every time you repot. Mm-hmm. Just cut them in like a good bit, introduce soil, and then the roots will grow back into it and then go to the other side. Cut back yep. a little bit on that side and then let it grow back again. A lot like you would do with the Yamadori. So, you know, you're trying to get that out of its field soil and into a good bonsai mix. You do a partial repot. You do half one year, half the other year or... you know, a quarter here, a quarter there, you know, during each repotting season until you're where, where you want to be. And that's just, that's just good to do with not a lot of other trees too, that are shrub like Um, something else that I can relate to Yopons, I'm sure could be relatable to uh, azaleas as well. We're we're just doing like a, a half and half here. We're doing like Yopons and azaleas. Whenever I see a yopon that's got a super dense root system, we got root issues. When we hit a certain pocket and it's root rotted. Uh, pockets. Yeah. Yep. You got 
one of the things that I was shown by a good friend of mine that practiced been practicing bonsai for a long time, she turns the, the root ball over and smells mm -hmm. it and looks for oh, the root yeah. rot. Ugh. Yeah. If it smells bad, it's root rot. If it's and black, you, it's root rot, you know. Mm -hmm. And you need to dig it out and excavate it oh, yeah. all the way out. Get all of it out of there. Yeah. And then it'll replace. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's more than enough coverage on repotting for azaleas. Um, so let's talk about the show. So for bones for azalea, Satsuki azalea bonsai to show, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things you see a lot with those trees is the flowers always look like they're lined up in rows. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Is that is that meticulously lining those buds up? How's that work? Um, so I personally haven't gone to that extreme with managing the bloom of them, but I have seen that done. And yeah, there is definitely something to it when you're pruning your azalea and when you're doing shoot selection, um, oftentimes what you want to do is make sure that your shoots, I mean, not only are lined up and everything, you know, is um, aligned to the same you know, orientation, but that you have enough space for each flower to fully open. Because if you don't, uh, your flowers just, I mean, they won't fully open. Your tree will still be, you know, one giant mass of pink, but everything will be really cramped together. You won't see that full open flower, um, like how you see them in show books. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a lot of work to do. Um, so it's more <laughs> removing the flowers to make them appear lined up. You wouldn't say that they prune or wire. I, I don't know. Um, I don't, I, I will just say it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that they go to that extreme. I wouldn't be surprised if they do. Um, it's just the like farthest, see... the farthest that I've gone here is, is just to, to thin out to the point where each flower can open. Yeah. Cause I know with some fruiting plants, mm -hmm. they will do a selective, like, like this is where you want this fruit to be. So we mm -hmm. cut this one off or we, I, I would not be surprised if that were the case, because I do know like when you're, even when you're wiring a pine, you know, when you're laying out each of those tips, they have to be at the exact same angle or it looks messy. Like mm -hmm. the detail that goes into finding the exact angle of orientation for that one little point, And then every other 500 of, of those points on the tree has to be exactly Straight. right. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past, you know, the folks who are photographing those azaleas um, professionally at that mm -hmm. level. Yeah. Yeah. And then after the flowers are done, at what point do you remove the hip? Like, so when it gets mm -hmm. to that point, when the show's over, uh, when I say show, I'm not referring to like, we always put azaleas in, in the show. It's preferable to put them in a bonsai show in there and flower, but a show would be a like performance that the the tree gives you for that season. That's what mm -hmm. I'm, that's so why I keep saying period. that. Yeah. yeah. Blooming period would be called it's a show. show. Yep. Yeah. Um, so when do you remove the flower normally? Um, if we're letting a tree bloom, which is a whole other topic, uh, then <laughs> usually we take them off as they start to get wilty or mushy. Um, or when you start to see them kind of pop off themselves and usually at that point, when we remove the flower petals, we go in and pinch off the ovary as well so that, you know, you're not really double handling that point on the tree. You're just going in in one fell swoop and getting out that um, ovary and the, the flower at the same time. Yeah. And when you cut back, 
there's sometimes a little stem connected to the the base of the flower. Mm -hmm. Does that all come off as well? Yep. Okay. So we're going back to the branch. So we're, we're going the... back to the whirl of leaves at the bottom. Okay. And yep. that's another thing that I've seen in other in other uh bonsai articles and other discussions about azaleas is the the branches do have a tendency to whirl. Oh yeah. Uh, so They're when you have a whirling. <laughs> so when you, no, whenever you have a whirl, um, that could be beneficial, but also fight against you in bonsai uh, development, branch uh, refinement, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a really healthy azalea can put out as many, I've seen like seven shoots in a whirl before. I've also seen like two, you know, like it just depends on the azalea and how strong it is. Um, but yeah, so generally let's say you're at the point of your season where it's flowered, you've removed flowers and ovaries, and now you're left with all this new growth that it's pushed in the spring. And so this is the time where you go in and you do reduction of, of all your new growth. And we usually use a method that we call the fishtail. So that's taking your whirl of however many shoots you have, you know, at the base of where that flower was and taking it down to two of those and then taking those two shoots and cutting each one of those back to two leaves. Mm -hmm. So um, it kind of ends up looking like a fishtail. And so oh. you do that. Yeah. So I like that. Back yeah. to two, back to two, essentially. And it's uh, this, is it the medium strength ones we go into? Usually. Um, what you want more so than medium strength is two that are about the same strength. So if okay. they're if you have, you know, one really strong one and, you know, if you have a couple of really strong ones and a couple of really weak ones, you just have to, you have to make your decision as to if, but yeah, if you have medium strength ones on there, generally, yeah, you go for Those that. You're trying to, to equalize the energy over the whole tree, like you know, like you do, um, I'll oh. often compare them to like black pine, you know? So usually with azaleas, you come in after you do all your black pine work, that's usually time for azalea work. And it's very similar where you're reducing that growth. Um, to try to equalize energy over your whole tree. That's something that I totally forgot to mention when we were getting into azaleas is that they're one of the only species that we work with in bonsai that's basically dominant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. So should that be a big concern to young younger practitioners getting into azaleas? Should they be really worried about basal dominance? What does that mean for developing azalea? Yeah. So basal dominance essentially means that instead of where a tree, you know, holds all its strength kind of at the top, it's going to want to grow the top of itself strongest because it wants to get, you know, tall and outgrow all the other trees around it so it can be dominant in, you know, whatever forest it's in. Right. So a shrub is more basally dominant. So the, the lowest branches on that tree are the strongest. So those are generally the ones you have to rein in a little bit more and generally leave a little bit more foliage towards the top. So it's a little bit opposite of what you would do with um, a tree. Just kind of leave your, your bottom branches a little bit a little bit weaker than your top branches. Yeah, so thin, ba balance them even more so on the on the bottom. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, that's It's very odd to... And that's almost like you have the subcategory when you work on your, your bonsai you have your elms and your maples and stuff that are just so ridiculously top dominant. So you feel yourself thinning those a lot more on the top mm -hmm. and you turn around to your azaleas and it's, it could be a little bit brain, like mind warping a little bit. It's like, Oh wait, I need to 
yeah, do the approach this. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what I need to get at least one decent Satsuki or, or whatever kind of Azalea. Cause there's a couple of other varieties mm-hmm. out there of Azaleas that are suitable for bonsai, but the Satsuki mm-hmm. is kind of arguably the better because of the dwarf nature of it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, yeah, we have a few here at the nursery that I get to trim back, but they're not really anything crazy. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, but you have your fair share of them. So, uh, yeah. I think that's, a, I think that without overdoing it too much on azaleas, I feel like there's still more to say. Oh God. Um, yeah. We barely scratched the surface. Exactly. Uh, we could probably do like, this is just beginners basics mm-hmm. of azaleas. And then maybe we'll later down the line be like, okay, let's go, let's do a advanced visit more advanced visit of azaleas because we did talk about some vaguely advanced stuff but i feel like there's more Mm. to be had later on down the line yeah um and so we we've been mixing in bonsai forms and styles series uh episodes and then we haven't really done a species one yet so this is i think this is a good start for azaleas Mm -hmm. um but yeah before we were on too too long there's a there was a single listener question that wanted they someone uh wanted to revisit on on a double potting method and then we, of course we have our uh bonsai word of the week um we, could we finish out the seasonal year for the azalea though because we didn't touch on fall at all yet oh ah. crap yep see Sorry. there's more to it yep so right. it. i can go real quick i'll go real quick okay <laughs> i realized yep. i didn't realize how much i could talk about azaleas but oh it, uh, there's so much yeah yeah. Like you said, they could be their own thing. Like someone could have a whole garden of just azaleas, okay. but yeah. Speaking of, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll jump, yeah, just into fall real quick. So once you cut back into your, your fishtail method or whatever in the, the springtime, summertime, what it's going to do then is grow again. Um, and so something to do in the fall is... Uh, shoot reduction so a lot of like what you do with your black pine in the fall where you go in and whatever you know has grown you go in and you reduce back to two shoots whatever same with the azalea you go kind of to each tip of each branch and make sure that there's just two um two new shoots there and a lot of times what we'll do too is take out any of those old leaves just to because they'll they'll fall off naturally over the winter but just to keep things a little bit cleaner um, and, you know, to keep yourself busy, you just go through and, and take out some of those old leaves. So, um, you weren't busy enough, <laughs> right? So this is, uh, it's a busy tree. So if you have one azalea, that might be plenty. If you have a hundred azaleas, you yep. need a lot of help. Um, yeah, you're running a bonsai garden, uh, yeah. at that point. Um, um speaking of which, <laughs> uh, what do you feel, you feel good with the, the clothes out in the fall there? Yeah, uh, one other thing I'll touch on really quick is like okay. two super common azalea diseases, and then I'll stop. I promise. Okay, okay, uh, go ahead. That, that, so no more, more is better. <laughs> we mentioned root rot, so that's something to watch out for in the roots. The other thing to watch out for um, is a, a flower fungus. I think it's called ovulinia. I have to. Do- I should have double checked it, but it's um, in the springtime. It'll turn your flowers mushy or show like put brown spots on them. So fungicide is like a really good thing to just do preventatively in the spring, kind of a regular thing until you're through bloom period. Um, and then the one pest that I see a lot on azaleas is the lacewing bug. And so that likes to go on the underside of the azalea leaves and eat out all the chlorophyll. So if your leaves are looking kind of pale, mm. um, 
or if you start to see, you know, kind of a lacy texture on them, look underneath your leaves. And a lot of times you'll see a really cute little bug under there. Um, but it's not cute. <laughs> it's not that cute. So any yeah. kind of insecticidal work on those. Uh, but those are two, two, a pest and a disease to really watch out for on azaleas. Okay. I'm done now. Yeah, it's okay. No, uh, it's, it's fine though, because, uh, honestly though, with the listener question, I think we will probably hold up won't it for, uh, for Mike to kind of chime into, I feel like me, you and Mike have talked about double pot a little bit in the past. Uh, but we did have a question about what type of pots, what time timing and, and why and how and stuff. Um, we can, we could probably just let Mike, let it rip on like a, uh, a whole episode about double potting because he's oh, yeah. he's given entire lectures that I've seen talking about double potting, putting collars on pots, like taking a a piece of plastic or something to raise the level on the pot so it gets more drainage. And we're talking a lot of Shohin stuff too when he mentions mm-hmm. that method. A lot of interesting stuff there. So we'll we'll revisit the listener question. I'm so sorry uh about the listener out there that was like, oh, oh, here we go. And I'm like, nope, nope. You know what? We're in overtime. <laughs> Uh, but we'll no, this, come back to it. Yeah, we'll come back to it. There's so much bone size stuff to talk about. I mean, that's and just. If anybody wants more specifics on any of the azalea stuff, just shoot us an, uh, a message on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And yeah, and that that'll be noted by next week. Uh, if you're listening this far in, I'll mention it later on in another uh, next episode. I I'm going to create a Facebook page <gasps> for little things. So go Great. follow us over there. Um, I might even have the time to open up a discord and the discord will include our boneside best buds. And so we can kind of swap questions there as well and critiques. Mm-hmm. And I had a request for boneside progression, uh, recommendations and, you know, it would be a lot of fun as if we got a listener, uh, progression tree and someone started, you know, we worked alongside with some progressions and saw how they evolve over mm. the, the time they listened to the podcast and we help do those progressions i think that would be really cool that'd be really cool yeah and so let's just move on to the bonsai word of the week i was going to make it sat uh satsky but i feel mm-hmm. like we just talked about satskis for like an hour so i think that's more than enough <laughs> so never th- enough my bonsai word of the week that i've chose to go with is a, i think i feel it's a word that i've talked about a little bit and we, you hear me and mike say it a lot it's a, it's a word that i actually learned from mike uh learning how to use this word uh, we'll we'll tell other bonsai folks who are also as serious uh, that that it, it'll make you sound a little bit smarter. Let's just say that. Uh, so use this word at your next bonsai club meeting if you're looking at an exceptionally old bonsai. Say moche kome. Oh, I love that word. It's a it's an amazing word. I feel like we touch on it every once in a while, but it hasn't been it hasn't had spotlight the limelight as the bonsai word of the week yet. So when you go to your bonsai club, bonsai garden, bonsai show, whatever, um, you're critiquing trees with your friends and you look at this one tree and you're like oh that tree has an outstanding nabari the texture look there's bark growing on the nabari there's bark growing on the branches the branches of this tree Mm -hmm. are clearly old like not only were they developed but they have bark on them they have texture they have they have uh weight in the design they feel like they've always been there Mm -hmm. and that word mocha kome is is an aesthetic of a tree that has truly been in cultivation as bonsai for much longer than we could probably just guess just by looking at it. Uh, mm-hmm. 
and not many bonsai have that appearance but when when you see one it's undeniable that's yeah. that's called mochikome mm -hmm. so uh cool. what what other do you what things like kind of stir up that feeling when you look at or you're looking at old bonsai too it's just this kind of feeling of ancientness. It's like it's been there forever. Um, it doesn't really look like it's been, you know, had a lot of human interaction well, recently. You know, like it's just wasn't formed by humans. Yeah, it's just kind of yeah. It's it's just this. It like you said, it's always it's always just been an old tree that's been like that. Um, yeah. yeah. Um. I feel like a lot of Yamadori, like old collected mm -hmm. trees, naturally just kind of induce that that feeling. And then when they're mm -hmm. when they've been realized and they've been developed and cared for properly, then that's whenever those trees hit hard. Uh, but whenever we have a tree that's a little bit more like a like a beech tree is a great example. Mm -hmm. um, like there's an outstanding beech at the uh, Curtigas collection. Uh, that, that's that's that big beach we worked on last season, right? Oh, that was a Stewardia. Oh yeah, that was a Stewardia. I'm sorry, that's that's smooth okay. bark we plant. We have a beach too. Yeah, there is a beach, and I love that beach. One. That one's a little bit more. That that one does have the older age look to it, but the Stewardia mm -hmm. is surprisingly oh, smooth. Mm -hmm. But it has qualities to it that still invoke old. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. And it, those older features, I mean, and this is why we do bonsai. It's the viewing and the appreciation of of the art of ancient. Uh, and so Nabari, mature branch structure, barked, barked up branches, branches that have older bark, uh, well-refined pads, dense, dense canopies, uh, rounded mm -hmm. tops. It used to be old school to have like pointy tops on bonsai. Mm -hmm. uh, now professionals have considered rounded tops to be old because old trees in nature have broad tops um and then of course other characteristics of that species that would tell you it's old like junipers uh dead wood features mm -hmm. um good one for me swamp cypress uh flat top development mm -hmm. some kind of some kind of structure where it's dominantly on the top but you can have lower branches but the the crown is much more broadened uh, just like elm trees can kind of be represented that way too. I've seen a mixed bag for elms when it comes to showing an old age shape, but yeah, uh, I could go on and on about how old trees can have this feeling, but yeah, I think that's a great, uh, it's a great word. Uh, it's a great word. I just learned that word this year, actually, um, earlier this, or maybe it was last year, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's a relatively new word for me. And it was, it was good to learn because it, um, I think I learned it in reference to Kusumono. Um, and in, in Kusumono, you can see it where, you know, versus something, an old planting that's matured, that's completely filled in, that's, you know, it's grown so much that its own roots are kind of pushing itself up out of the pot. So it's created this mossy mound over something that's just been freshly potted, you know, that hasn't filled in, that you can still see the soil. You know, it's it's kind of the plant is a little floppy because you can tell it was just put in the pot. So something um, that was kind of the the reference in which I learned it uh that word um but yeah that's a it's a it's a good word to know it's a really good word yeah and it, and from the cosimono standpoint that's going to be plants that are like clearly established um mm -hmm. like you're yep. kind of saying like 
established and you can't tell how, how old or long the planting is. Mm -hmm. uh, in Kosamono plantings, Mochikome on those plantings is, in my opinion, that's beautiful in a way that that is not even close to how bonsai could be beautiful because Kosamono plantings get smaller leaves, mm -hmm. uh, more dense habits just in plants that you would not expect to see. And mm -hmm. you might take a uh, like a plant that normally would grow five feet tall, put it in a Kosamono planting, and it might do something that surprises you. And that's the fun in Kosamono plantings too. Mm -hmm. uh, but we could talk about Kosamono on another episode uh, sure. before we get too far on that. But uh, yeah, and then the uh, one of the biggest influences on Mochikome is the Wabi and the Sabi uh, bonsai. So, uh, but we'll do Wabi Sabi as a bonsai word of the week later on because uh, Mike has some really awesome insight on Wabi Sabi. He kind of built like his his Kitsune bonsai model around those words. Uh, so we'll revisit that one too. But that is a huge part in the Mochikome uh view and poeticness that is that word so but anyway uh yeah this is we're we're uh we're coming to the tail end of the episode this has been a this has been a really good outline of azaleas i don't know if we've even said enough i mean like you were saying i feel like there's so much more to it i could keep on going yep yep oh and uh we can wrap it up. Uh, did you want to mention the the show that's coming up in Michigan? I, I oh yeah. So um, yeah. So um, my other. So what I do now is I'm apprenticing with you know Michael Hagedorn out here at Critagus, but um, before that and uh, still currently I'm working with the University of Michigan, the Mathai Botanical Gardens in Nichols Arboretum. It's where I started learning bonsai. It's where I'm going back to when I'm done here. Um, and they're receiving a large collection of azaleas from a private donor. And this year uh, marks the 10-year celebration of having our bonsai garden. So we've had bonsai there since the 1970s, but we've only had like a display garden for the bonsai uh, for the last 10 years. And so we're receiving more trees uh, as part of that donation this year. We're doing a big naming ceremony. The entire month of June will be focused on um, azaleas and bonsai out at the University of Michigan Botanical Gardens. Um, so there's a lot of information online that we have for that. And maybe I can give you that, um, in the show notes or something, Evan, but, mm -hmm. uh, um, is our web address for that. And, uh, you can find a lot of bonsai information there. And yeah, so we've got a big collection of azaleas there. We're doing workshops. Um, we've got a couple of folks coming in from Japan to do mm. some workshops with us. What time? Um, when is this in June? That's in June. So the the week after Denver, um, the 16, 17, 18 is when we're having workshops. Um Okay. And like the formal naming ceremony, but the entire month of June, the garden will be open. We'll be featuring azaleas on Instagram, Facebook, the website, in person, all kinds of stuff. So, awesome. Uh, yeah, and we can talk more about it too on another episode, go into maybe some more details. But uh, yeah, we can share some more stuff on our, our social media as well. So, yep, awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, I've seen pictures of some of the trees in y'all's collection. You showed me the article that was in uh, was that Bonsai Focus. Uh, no, we had one in the, a actually ABS it was the ABS journal. journal. Yep. Yeah. There's one recently in the ABS journal, um, about the collection and, and all of that. So yeah. some of the trees I saw just from what 
is there before the in, in, in introduction of the newer trees, the trees there are outstanding. Yeah, um, I, I, I would love to maybe uh, one day soon, I'll have to go up there and check that collection out. I mean, I still got a lot yeah. more traveling to do. So you want to practice with azaleas, um, I'll, I'll bring you in after blooming <laughs> and you can uh, help take all the flowers off. Yeah, that sounds like a lot sounds of fun. So fun. <laughs> well, and also, you know, also do the trimming and the, the fun yeah. part of it. The, the, the bonsai practices. The bonsai uh, part of it. Not just yeah. The flower. Yeah. Sure. So anyway, thanks for joining me on this one, Carmen. <laughs> It's yeah, been, for sure. uh, it's always a good time and we will catch up with our listeners and our bonsai best buds on the next one. You guys have a good one. Bye.